Hi, I'm Rob. Tale number six, The Notebook in the Dumpster. When I was in my 20s, my friends used to go dumpster diving. I really liked the idea of dumpster diving, but I was always so consumed with worry that someone was going to like yell at us or something that it wasn't much fun for me. So usually I just waited in the car. They would find all kinds of neat stuff. We had a really awesome sofa that they found dumpster diving. My desk was something they found dumpster diving. One day, my three friends, John, Becky, and Liz, they're in a dumpster and I'm waiting in the car. Someone walks up and knocks on the window. I'm, of course, assuming the worst, but the person asked if we were dumpster diving. And I said, yeah, they are. And he said, well, I just cleaned out our whole building and there's tons of stuff just sitting on the curb and in our dumpster if you guys want to go take a look. And I was like, cool. And he gave us the address and we went there. And there was a lot of cool stuff. Like Liz found a really cool chair. It was a seat to an old movie theater or something like that. And most of the stuff was just sitting next to a dumpster. The dumpster was actually almost empty, but John climbed in there anyway, and he saw this notebook, and it was like a daily planner, and someone had just written the word alabaster in black marker right on the front. He grabbed it and kind of leafed through it really quickly, but did not take a close look at it and took it with him. A few days later, he sent us a text and said, guys, you have to see what's in this notebook. And so we all went to John's that night for dinner, and he brought out the notebook. And it was, like I said, a daily planner from the year, I think it was 2002. And each page represented a day. For the first few months, like January, February, March, they were totally blank. And then in the middle of April, one of the pages says, Julia is coming on August 28th. And then the next day, it says it again. And then again. And then again. It says it on every page after that. And the way it is written begins to get more elaborate. First, it's just normal handwriting. Then it develops into like block lettering in May. And then in June, there's a lot more stuff surrounding the words, like rainbows, sunsets, dogs. And then it gets even more elaborate. I remember one where Julia is coming on August 28th. The letters themselves are like thorny vines. And then like roses bloom out surrounding it. And it's colored and everything. And it looks pretty good. Things like that. And it keeps going and going, and it builds and it builds. And then you get to the week of August 28th, and it's like there's no white space left on the pages. They're spending a lot of time each day writing this in their planner. They're really anticipating Julia coming to see them. And then we get to August 28th, and it's almost totally blank, except in the bottom right corner of the page, in the smallest letters that we've seen yet, it says, Julia did not come. And then on August 29th, it says Julia did not come. And you see this uh, progression begin again after the day that Julia was supposed to come. And it's like the total opposite of the lead up to Julia's arrival. There's harder edges, like it's more jagged. It looks like they're stabbing the page with their writing utensil. And I think there's even rips in some of the pages. They were bearing down so hard. And then towards the end of September, it just stops and the rest of the pages are blank. It was so simple, but there was such a big story being told of this person 
who we came to call Alabaster because it was written on the front of the notebook, anticipating a visit from Julia. But Julia doesn't come, so Alabaster is devastated. Reading the journal together hit us all hard. There were even a couple of people crying. We understood we were looking at a pretty remarkable document, and immediately we began to imagine the specific circumstances that led to the existence of this notebook. And we talked about it all night. I think we came to agree on a narrative that it was maybe from a hospital, and that Alabaster, whose journal it was, was a patient, and they were looking forward to a visit from Julia. But it was pure speculation on our part. Within that speculation, John saw something. And he began to show everyone the notebook that he could. And everyone always wanted to think about it and come up with their version of the story behind Alabaster's notebook. John was like a singer-songwriter and a poet, and he started taking the notebook with him to open mics and poetry readings and things like that, and going up on stage and reading it and showing it off. And people loved it. He really became known around town as the guy with the notebook, and he ended up turning it into a monthly event at a coffee shop. He had slides made and would project it onto a screen and read it with live music playing in the background. And then he would have a few people that he had selected beforehand to come up and give their take on the story behind the notebook. He would also let one or two people from the audience come up and give their take. I remember there were several about aliens. Julia was an alien. Alabaster was hoping to hop on a ship and leave Earth. I think my all-time favorite was that Alabaster had some sort of breakdown and was forced to go into the hospital. And he had to leave his pet rat behind, whose name was Julia. And for the first little while, Alabaster was unruly and difficult to deal with. So the head doctor, who is like a bad guy in this story, tells Alabaster that if he starts behaving, they will allow someone to bring Julia to come visit him. And he gets really excited and starts writing about it in his planner. And then the day comes, and he learns that it had been a lie, and that he would not get to see Julia. Anyway, the notebook became this big thing, and a community formed around it. And for years, there was this wooden box at the coffee shop where you could actually drop off your ideas about the notebook. It's so interesting to me how John saw the potential the moment he read the notebook. I think anyone would have been sort of mesmerized by it, would have found it interesting, might have shown it to their friends, but John realized there was just enough information in the notebook to really spark people's imaginations. It gave him this feeling of mystery and wonder about the world that he really liked, and then he made it a goal to let other people feel that feeling, and they liked it too. That's where I was going to end that one. But then I was talking to someone about it that remembered it, and I got some more information. First, you should know that, that John is actually no longer with us. He died. So I couldn't go to him directly. But I talked to someone that knew him really well, and they let me in on a secret. And I've debated if I should share this secret. I don't think John would mind. And also, I've learned that a lot of people know the secret. It's not really a secret. And the secret itself sort of speaks to something interesting. So I'm going to share it. If you are really caught up in the notebook as a mystery, you can turn it off right now. 
Otherwise, you're about to learn the real story behind Alabaster's notebook. Okay, so John found the notebook. He started doing the open mic thing, and then he started the monthly events. And after one of these events, someone came up to him and said, I know where the notebook's from. Do you want me to tell you? And John said, I don't know, and got the person's phone number. And then he didn't call them for like a year, but he eventually did call them and said, I do want to know. There was this play. It was an original play. I know that, but I don't know the title. The play follows a guy that wakes up in a mental hospital and has no idea why he's there. And it's about him trying to convince everyone that he shouldn't be there. There are several other patients in the hospital, including one named Tommy. Tommy was a smaller role. He just shows up in a few scenes. He's not really pivotal to the story. He sort of fills out the hospital. The actor that played Tommy was given a notebook, a daily planner, that already had the word alabaster written on it in black marker. They had done another play the year before called Alabaster, and it was a prop left over from that play that they used in this one. And it was totally blank. There was nothing written on any of the pages. And so every time you see Tommy in the play, he's carrying around this notebook. They rehearsed the play for over a month. And the actor playing Tommy took the role seriously, and he didn't like that the Daily Planner was blank. So he set about filling it in. And that's what he came up with. And filling out the pages and sort of like building that strange narrative that we all appreciated in the notebook was just something he did to like be in character. As for the text itself, Julia is coming to visit on August 28th. The actor's friend, her birthday was August 28th, and she was coming to visit him. Her name wasn't Julia, but that's how that started, and then he just built off of that. By the end of the run of the play, everyone in the cast had seen the notebook, and they all recognized it as a remarkable thing, just like we did. And they began to imagine what it would be like if someone just randomly found that notebook. So they had an idea. They just left it on a bench in the lobby of the theater one day and hoped someone would find it and be perplexed. It didn't play out exactly as they had hoped, because the play had ended years before we found it. But the dumpster where John found the notebook was the dumpster for the theater. And the theater was closed, it had been sold, and the guy that had told us that we could go look through all that stuff, he had bought the building and had cleaned it out. So that's the real story behind Alabaster's Notebook. I really like that both the cast of the play and John saw this potential in the notebook, and they took steps to get it out there in the world. I know the contents of the notebook is kind of dark, and there's also maybe some ethical concerns with John finding this anguish-filled notebook that he thought was real in a trash can and deciding to share it with the world. But there's something special about trying to create mystery and wonder on a small, local, person-to-person level. And I hope there are more people out in the world trying to do something similar. Rob Tells Tales is produced by me, Rob Tiffin. I had some additional editing help from Ben Lamb. 
The cover art is by Marcella Johnson. She also came up with the title. The end credits music is by Poddington Bear. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at robtellstales.com. This podcast would have not been possible without Ben, Marcella, and Melanie. Thank you, and thanks for listening.